The Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 1 by Johann von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford, Section 30. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 1 by Johann von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford, Section 30. Ninth Book, Part 2. Most of my fellow boarders were medical students. These, as is well known, are the only students who zealously converse about their science and profession even out of the hours of study. This lies in the nature of the case. The objects of their endeavours are those most obvious to the senses, and at the same time the highest, the most simple and the most complicated. Medicine employs the whole man, for it occupies itself with man as a whole. All that the young man learns refers directly to an important, dangerous indeed, but yet in many respects lucrative practice. He therefore devotes himself passionately to whatever is to be known and to be done, partly because it is interesting in itself, partly because it opens to him the joyous prospect of independence and wealth. At table, then, I heard nothing but medical conversations, just as formerly in the boarding-house of Hofrat Ludwig. In our walks and in our pleasure parties likewise, not much else was talked about, for my fellow boarders, like good fellows, had also become my companions at other times and they were always joined on all sides by persons of like minds and like studies. The medical faculty in general shone above the others with respect both to the celebrity of the professors and the number of the students, and I was the more easily borne along by the stream as I had just so much knowledge of all these things that my desire for science could soon be increased and inflamed. At the commencement of the second half-year, therefore, I attended Spielmann's course on chemistry, another on anatomy by Lobstein, and proposed to be right industrious, because by my singular preliminary, or rather extra knowledge, I had already gained some respect and confidence in our society. Yet this trifling and piecemeal way of study was even to be once more seriously disturbed for a remarkable political event set everything in motion and procured us a tolerable succession of holidays marie antoinette archduchess of austria and queen of france was to pass through strasbourg on her road to paris the solemnities by which the people are made to take notice that there is greatness in the world were busily and abundantly prepared and especially remarkable to me was the building which stood on an island in the rhine between the two bridges erected for her reception and for surrendering her into the hands of her husband's ambassadors it was but slightly raised above the ground had in the centre a grand saloon, on each side smaller ones. 
then followed other chambers which extended somewhat backward in short had it been more durably built it might have answered very well as a pleasure-house for persons of rank but what particularly interested me and for which i did not grudge many a busel a little silver coin then current in order to procure a repeated entrance from the porter was the embroidered tapestry with which they had lined the whole interior here for the first time i saw a specimen of those tapestries worked after raffaelle's cartoons and this sight was for me of very decided influence as i became acquainted with the true and the perfect on a large scale though only in copies i went and came and came and went and could not satiate myself with looking nay a vain endeavour troubled me because i would willingly have comprehended what interested me in so extraordinary a manner i found these side chambers highly delightful and refreshing but the chief saloon so much the more shocking this had been hung with many larger more brilliant and richer hangings which were surrounded with crowded ornaments worked after pictures by the modern french now i might perhaps have become reconciled to this style also as my feelings like my judgment did not readily reject anything entirely but the subject was excessively revolting to me these pictures contained the history of jason medea and creusa and therefore an example of the most unhappy marriage to the left of the throne was seen the bride struggling with the most horrible death surrounded by persons full of sympathizing woe to the right was the father horrified at the murdered babes before his feet whilst the fury in her dragon car drove along into the air and that the horrible and atrocious should not lack something absurd the white tail of that magic bull flourished out on the right hand from behind the red velvet of the gold embroidered back of the throne while the fire-spitting beast himself and the jason who was fighting with him were completely covered by the sumptuous drapery here all the maxims which i had made my own in ursa's school were stirring within my bosom it was without proper selection and judgment to begin with that christ and the apostles were brought into the side halls of a nuptial building and doubtless the size of the chambers had guided the royal tapestry keeper this however i willingly forgave because it had turned out so much to my advantage but a blunder like that in the grand saloon put me altogether out of my self-possession and with animation and vehemence i called on my comrades to witness such a crime against taste and feeling what cried i without regarding the bystanders is it permitted to thoughtlessly place before the eyes of a young queen at her first setting foot in her dominions the representation of the most horrible marriage that perhaps ever was consummated 
is there among the french architects decorators upholsterers not a single man who understands that pictures represent something the pictures work upon the mind and feelings that they make impressions that they excite forebodings it is just the same as if they had sent the most ghastly spectre to meet this beauteous and pleasure-loving lady at the very frontiers i know not what i said besides enough my comrades tried to quiet me and to remove me out of the house that there might be no offence they then assured me that it was not everybody's concern to look for significance in pictures that to themselves at least nothing of the sort would have occurred while the whole population of strasbourg and the vicinity which was to throng thither would no more take such crotchets into their heads than the queen herself and her court i yet remember well the beauteous and lofty mien as cheerful as it was imposing of this youthful lady perfectly visible to us all in her glass carriage she seemed to be jesting with her female attendants in familiar conversation about the throng that poured forth to meet her train in the evening we roamed through the streets to look at the various illuminated buildings but especially the glowing spire of the minster with which both near and in the distance we could not sufficiently feast our eyes the queen pursued her way the country people dispersed and the city was soon quiet as ever before the queen's arrival the very reasonable regulation had been made that no deformed persons no cripples nor disgusting invalids should show themselves on her route people joked about this and i made a little french poem in which i compared the advent of christ who seemed to wander upon earth particularly on account of the sick and lame with the arrival of the queen who scared these unfortunates away my friends let it pass a frenchman on the contrary who lived with us criticised the language in metre very unmercifully although as it seemed with too much foundation and i do not remember that i ever made a french poem afterwards no sooner had the news of the queen's happy arrival rung from the capital than it was followed by the horrible intelligence that owing to an oversight of the police during the festal fireworks an infinite number of persons with horses and carriages had been destroyed in a street obstructed by building materials and that the city in the midst of the nuptial solemnities had been plunged into mourning and sorrow they attempted to conceal the extent of the misfortune both from the young royal pair and from the world by burying the dead in secret so that many families were convinced only by the ceaseless absence of their members that they too had been swept off by this awful event but on this occasion those ghastly figures in the grand saloon again came vividly before my mind i need scarcely mention for every one knows how powerful certain moral impressions are when they embody themselves as it were 
in those of the senses. This occurrence was, however, destined, moreover, to place my friends in anxiety and trouble by means of a prank in which I indulged. Among us young people who had been at Leipzig, there had been maintained ever afterwards a certain itch for imposing on and in some way mystifying one another. With this wanton love of mischief, I wrote to a friend in Frankfurt. He was the one who had amplified my poem on the cake baker Hendel, applied it to Maidon, and caused its general circulation. A letter dated from Versailles, in which I informed him of my happy arrival there, my participation in the solemnities, and other things of the kind, but at the same time enjoined the strictest secrecy. I must here remark that from the time of that trick which had caused us so much annoyance, our little Leipzig society had accustomed itself to persecute him from time to time with mystifications, and this especially as he was the drollest man in the world, and was never more amiable than when he was discovering the cheat into which he had deliberately been led. Shortly after I had written this letter, I went on a little journey and remained absent about a fortnight. Meanwhile, the news of that disaster had reached Frankfurt. My friend believed me in Paris, and his affection led him to apprehend that I might have been involved in the calamity. He inquired of my parents and other persons to whom I was accustomed to write whether any letters had arrived and as it was just at the time when my journey kept me from sending any they were altogether wanting he went about in the greatest uneasiness and at last told the matter in confidence to our nearest friends who were now in equal anxiety fortunately this conjecture did not reach my parents until a letter had arrived announcing my return to strasbourg my young friends were satisfied to learn that I was alive, but remained firmly convinced that I had been at Paris in the interim. The affectionate intelligence of the solicitude they had felt on my account affected me so much that I vowed to leave off such tricks for ever. But unfortunately I have often since allowed myself to be guilty of something similar, Real life frequently loses its brilliancy to such a degree that one is many a time forced to polish it up again with the varnish of fiction. This mighty stream of courtly magnificence had now flowed by and had left me in no other longing than after those tapestries of Raffaele, which I would willingly have gazed at, revered, nay adored every day and every hour fortunately my passionate endeavours succeeded in interesting several persons of consequence in them so that they were taken down and packed up as late as possible 
we now gave ourselves up again to our quiet easy routine of the university and society and in the latter the actuary salzmann president of our table continued to be the general pedagogue his intelligence complacence and dignity which he always contrived to maintain amid all the jests and often even in the little extravagances which he allowed us made him beloved and respected by the whole company and i could mention but few instances where he showed his serious displeasure or interposed with authority in little quarrels and disputes yet among them all i was the one who most attached myself to him and he was not less inclined to converse with me as he found me more variously accomplished than the others and not so one-sided in judgment i also followed his directions in external matters so that he could without hesitation publicly acknowledge me as his companion and comrade for although he only filled an office which seems to be of little influence he administered it in a manner which redounded to his highest honour he was actuary to the court of wards pupillen collegium and there indeed like the perpetual secretary of a university he had properly speaking the management of affairs in his own hands now as he had performed the duties of this office with the greatest exactness for many years there was no family from the first to the last which did not owe him its gratitude as indeed scarcely any one in the whole administration of government can earn more blessings or more curses than one who takes charge of the orphans or on the contrary squanders or suffers to be squandered their property and goods the strasburgers are passionate walkers and they have a good right to be so let one turn his steps as he will he will find pleasure grounds partly natural partly adorned by art in ancient and modern times all of them visited and enjoyed by a cheerful merry little people but what made the sight of a great number of pedestrians still more agreeable here than in other places was the various costume of the fair sex the middle class of city girls yet retained the hair twisted up and secured by a large pin as well as a certain close style of dress in which anything like a train would have been unbecoming and the pleasant part of it was that this costume did not differ violently according to the rank of the wearer for there were still some families of opulence and distinction who would not permit their daughters to deviate from this costume the rest followed the french fashion and this party made some proselytes every year Salzmann had many acquaintances and an entrance everywhere a very pleasant circumstance for his companions especially in summer for good company and refreshment were found in all the public gardens far and near and more than one invitation for this or that pleasant day was received on one such occasion i found an opportunity to recommend myself very rapidly to a family which i was visiting for only the second time 
we were invited and arrived at the appointed hour the company was not large some played and some walked as usual afterwards when they were to go to supper i saw our hostess and her sister speaking to each other with animation and as if in a peculiar embarrassment i accosted them and said i have indeed no right ladies to force myself into your secrets but perhaps i may be able to give you good counsel or even to serve you upon this they disclosed to me their painful dilemma namely that they had invited twelve persons to table and that just at that moment a relation had returned from a journey who now as the thirteenth would be a fatal memento mori if not for himself yet certainly for some of the guests the case is very easily mended replied i permit me to take my leave and stipulate for indemnification as they were persons of consequence and good breeding they would by no means allow this but sent about in the neighbourhood to find a fourteenth i suffered them to do so yet when i saw the servant coming in at the garden gate without having effected his errand i stole away and spent my evening pleasantly under the old linden trees of the Wanzenau. that this self-denial was richly repaid me was a very natural consequence a certain kind of general society is not to be thought of without card-playing salzmann renewed the good instructions of madame Boehmer, and i was the more docile as i had really seen that by this little sacrifice if it be one one may procure oneself much pleasure and even a greater freedom in society than one would otherwise enjoy the old piquet which had gone to sleep was again looked out i learned whist i made myself according to the directions of my mentor a card purse which was to remain untouched under all circumstances and i now found opportunity to spend most of my evenings with my friend in the best circles where for the most part they wished me well and pardoned me many a little irregularity to which nevertheless my friend though kindly enough used to call my attention but that i might experience symbolically how much one even in externals has to adapt oneself to society and direct oneself according to it i was compelled to something which seemed to me the most disagreeable thing in the world i had really very fine hair but my strasbourg hairdresser at once assured me that it was cut much too short behind and that it would be impossible to make a frisure of it in which i could show myself since nothing but a few short curls in front were decreed lawful and all the rest from the crown must be tied up in a queue or a hair-bag nothing was left but to put up with false hair till the natural growth was again restored according to the demands of the time he promised me that nobody should ever remark this innocent deception 
against which I objected at first very earnestly, if I could resolve upon it immediately. He kept his word, and I was always looked upon as the young man who had the best and the best dressed head of hair. But as I was obliged to remain thus propped up and powdered from early morning, and at the same time to take care not to betray my false ornament by heating myself or by violent motions, this restraint, in fact, contributed much to my behaving for a time more quietly and politely, and accustomed me to going with my hat under my arm, and consequently in shoes and stockings also. However, I did not venture to neglect wearing understockings of fine leather as a defence against the Rhine gnats, which on the fine summer evenings generally spread themselves over the meadows and gardens. Under these circumstances, violent bodily motion being denied me, our social conversations grew more and more animated and impassioned. Indeed, they were the most interesting in which I had hitherto ever borne part. With my way of feeling and thinking, it cost me nothing to let every one pass for what he was, nay, for that which he wished to pass for. And thus the frankness of a fresh, youthful heart, which manifested itself almost for the first time in its full bloom, made me many friends and adherents. Our company of boarders increased to about twenty persons, and as Salzmann kept up his accustomed order, everything continued in its old routine. Nay, the conversation was almost more decorous, as everyone had to be on his guard before several. Among the newcomers was a man who particularly interested me. His name was Jung the same who afterwards became known under the name of Stilling. In spite of an antiquated dress, his form had something delicate about it, with a certain sturdiness. A bag wig did not disfigure his significant and pleasing countenance. His voice was mild without being soft and weak. It became even melodious and powerful as soon as his ardour was roused, which was very easily done. On becoming better acquainted with him, one found in him a sound common sense which rested on feeling, and therefore took its tone from the affections and passions. And from this very feeling sprang an enthusiasm for the good, the true, and the just in the greatest possible purity. For the course of this man's life had been very simple, and yet crowded with events and with manifold activity. The element of his energy was indestructible faith in God, and in an assistance flowing immediately from him, which evidently manifested itself in an uninterrupted providence, and in an unfailing deliverance out of all troubles and from every evil. Jung had made many such experiences in his life, and they had often been repeated of late in Strasbourg, so that with the greatest cheerfulness he led a life frugal indeed, 
but free from care and devoted himself most earnestly to his studies although he could not reckon upon any certain subsistence from one quarter to another in his youth when on a fair way to become a charcoal burner he took up the trade of a tailor and after he had instructed himself at the same time in higher matters his knowledge-loving mind drove him to the occupation of schoolmaster this attempt failed and he returned to his trade from which however since every one felt for him confidence and affection he was repeatedly called away again to take a place as a private tutor but for his most internal and peculiar training he had to thank that widespread class of men who sought out their salvation on their own responsibility and who while they strove to edify themselves by reading the scriptures and good books and by mutual exhortation and confession thereby attained a degree of cultivation which must excite surprise for while the interest which always accompanied them and which maintained them in fellowship rested on the simplest foundation of morality well-wishing and well-doing the deviations which would take place with men of such limited circumstances were of little importance and hence their consciences for the most part remained clear and their minds commonly cheerful so there arose no artificial but a truly natural culture which yet had this advantage over others that it was suitable to all ages and ranks and was generally social by its nature for this reason too these persons were in their own circle truly eloquent and capable of expressing themselves appropriately and pleasingly on all the tenderest and best concerns of the heart now good jung was in this very case among a few persons who if not exactly like-minded with himself did not declare themselves averse from his mode of thought he was found not only talkative but eloquent in particular he related the history of his life in the most delightful manner and knew how to make all the circumstances plainly and vividly present to his listeners i persuaded him to write them down and he promised to do so but because in his way of expressing himself he was like a somnambulist who must not be called by name lest he should fall from his elevation or like a gentle stream to which one dare oppose nothing lest it should foam he was often constrained to feel uncomfortable in a more numerous company his faith tolerated no doubt and his conviction no jest while in friendly communication he was inexhaustible everything came to a standstill with him when he met with contradiction i usually helped him through on such occasions for which he repaid me with honest affection since his mode of thought was nothing strange to me but on the contrary i had already become accurately acquainted with it in my very best friends of both sexes and since moreover it generally interested me with its 
naturalness and naivete he found himself on the very best terms with me the bent of his intellect was pleasing to me nor did i meddle with his faith in miracles which was so useful to him salzmann likewise behaved towards him with forbearance i say with forbearance for salzmann in conformity with his character his natural disposition his age and circumstances could not but stand and continue on the side of the rational or rather the common sense christians whose religion properly rested on the rectitude of their characters and a manly independence and who therefore did not like to meddle or have anything to do with feelings which might easily have led them into gloom or with mysticism which might easily have led them into the dark this class too was respectable and numerous all men of honour and capacity understood each other and were of the like persuasion as well as of the same mode of life Lassa, likewise our fellow boarder also belonged to this number a perfectly upright young man and with limited gifts of fortune frugal and exact his manner of life and housekeeping was the closest i ever knew among students he was of us all the most neatly dressed and yet always appeared in the same clothes but he managed his wardrobe with the greatest care kept everything about him clean and required all things in ordinary life to go according to his example he never happened to lean anywhere or to prop his elbow on the table he never forgot to mark his table napkin and the maid always had a bad time of it when the chairs were not found perfectly clean with all this he had nothing stiff in his exterior he spoke cordially with precise and dry liveliness in which a light ironical joke was very becoming in figure he was well built slender and of fair height his face was pock-pitted and homely his little blue eyes cheerful and penetrating as he had cause to tutor us in so many respects we let him be our fencing master besides for he drew a very fine rapier and it seemed to give him sport to play off upon us on this occasion all the pedantry of this profession moreover we really profited by him and had to thank him for many sociable hours which he induced us to spend in good exercise and practice by all these peculiarities Lausa completely qualified himself for the office of arbitrator and umpire in all the small and great quarrels which happened but really in our circle and which Salzmann could not hush up in his fatherly way without the external forms which do so much mischief in universities we represented a society bound together by circumstances and good feeling which others might occasionally touch but into which they could not intrude now in his judgment of internal peaks 
Lhasa always showed the greatest impartiality, and when the affair could no longer be settled by words and explanations, he knew how to conduct the desired satisfaction, in an honourable way, to a harmless issue. In this no man was more clever than he. Indeed, he often used to say that since heaven had destined him for a hero, neither in war nor in love, he would be content, both in romances and fighting, with the part of second. Since he remained the same throughout, and might be regarded as a true model of a good and steady disposition, the conception of him stamped itself as deeply as amiably upon me, and when I wrote Goethe's von Berlichingen, I felt myself induced to set up a memorial of our friendship, and to give the gallant fellow who knew how to subordinate himself in so dignified a manner the name of Franz Lesser. While by his constant humorous dryness he continued ever to remind us of what one owed to oneself and to others, and how one ought to behave in order to live at peace with men as long as possible, and thus gain a certain position towards them, I had to fight, both inwardly and outwardly, with quite different circumstances and adversaries, being at strife with myself, with the objects around me, and even with the elements. I was then in a state of health which furthered me sufficiently in all that I would and should undertake, only there was a certain irritability left behind, which did not always let me be in equilibrium. A loud sound was disagreeable to me. Diseased objects awakened in me loathing and horror. But I was especially troubled with a giddiness which came over me every time I looked down from a height. All these infirmities I tried to remedy, and indeed, as I wished to lose no time, in a somewhat violent way. In the evening, when they beat the tattoo, I went near the multitude of drums, the powerful rolling and beating of which might have made one's heart burst in one's bosom. All alone I ascended the highest pinnacle of the minster spire, and sat in what is called the neck under the knob or crown for a quarter of an hour before i would venture to step out again into the open air where standing upon a platform scarce an l square without any particular holding one sees the boundless prospect before while the nearest objects and ornaments conceal the church and everything upon and above which one stands it is exactly as if one saw oneself carried up into the air in a balloon. Such troublesome and painful sensations I repeated, until the impression became quite indifferent to me, and I have since then derived great advantage from this training in mountain travels and geological studies, and on great buildings, where I have vied with the carpenters in running over the bare beams and the cornices of the edifice and even in Rome, where one must run similar risks to obtain a nearer view of important works of art. 
anatomy also was of double value to me as it taught me to endure the most repulsive sights while i satisfied my thirst for knowledge and thus i also attended the clinical course of the elder dr Aumann, as well as the lectures of his son on obstetrics with the double view of becoming acquainted with all conditions and of freeing myself from all apprehension as to repulsive things and i have actually succeeded so far that nothing of this kind could ever put me out of my self-possession but i endeavoured to harden myself not only against these impressions on the senses but also against the infections of the imagination the awful and shuddering impressions of the darkness in churchyards solitary places churches and chapels by night and whatever may be connected with them i contrived to render likewise indifferent and in this also i went so far that day and night and every locality were quite the same to me so that even when in later times a desire came over me once more to feel in such scenes the pleasing shudder of youth i could hardly compel this in any degree by calling up the strangest and most fearful images. End of section 30